Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I'm going to tell you something, people. The gentleman on my show today is in a scene in a movie that I think everybody has seen. I, it's one of those things, at Christmas time, it plays over and over, and he must be, had talked about it probably so much, and I just watched the recent movie, A Christmas Story Christmas, which he was in, and it was good to see him back on screen, and my guest is Scott Schwartz. How you doing, Scott? Good. So... How was, how was it shooting the latest movie? I just watched it because you were coming on the show. I watched it, and I love the original Christmas story. But how great was it? Tell me the process of how it got made and, and how you guys all came back after all these years. Well, I mean, it was a four-year process of them getting the film put together and the script and the story and all that stuff. And, uh, I mean, at first they, they didn't know if they were going to bring us all back. Um, so they put out a casting call for a few different of the characters and whatever. And then the director and Peter were talking and he's like, can you still get a hold of the guys? Are they still available? Are you still out there? Yeah. Okay. So Peter called me and said, Hey, you know, putting together a new movie. If you, if you want to be in it, you got to audition like every, okay. Like everybody else. What so is I, it? I auditioned, I auditioned to be me again. <laughs> I was going to say, what's and, it like when uh, you audition for a role you did. I mean, did you? But people change over the times. It's been a few days, you know, since people have seen us on the big screen. And, you know, uh, they wanted to make sure we could still bring it, as they say. So, uh, you know, I did mine and the other guys did theirs. And we all passed the test. And let's rock and roll. You know, we're still at the ages where uh, nobody is has changed. Everybody's, I mean, we've changed as far as, you know, getting older. Um but, you know, nobody's 500 pounds and everybody kind of fits the characters that they still are. Uh, so, uh, you know, and there was still chemistry because we've all been friends for so many years. You know, I talked to all the guys and, you know, so it was, uh, you know, it was fun because we, we they, they told us all we got it. Okay, Klein. And, and uh, so RD, who plays Schwartz, you know, we have all the, the scenes together and all that. So, you know, we all we went to lunch. And we just started bantering, going back and forth. And it's like, it's still there. It's still, we are who we are and we can still do it, whatever. And uh, then we, we shot this in Sofia, Bulgaria. Well, oh, really? Everything is recreated from Ralphie's house to Higby's to the streets to everything. And um, so we were there. And of course, you know, we had downtime before we started shooting. And RD and I rehearsed and we were going back and forth. And then. I rehearsed with Ian, I rehearsed with Zach just to help them and whatever, you know, I'm, I'm the old guy, so I got to help everybody, you know, and, uh, I mean, it stuck with me and, me and RD, me and, you know, the character Schwartz, Flicky Schwartz, I mean, it was, listen, here we go, we're right back to square one, we're, we're, we're exactly where we're supposed to be, you know, all these decades later, because we're still friends and we still hang out in the movie, as you saw, you know, Flick's got the bar and Schwartz is a customer and we've got the same shtick that we did all those years ago. Well, it was good, and you know, and it's funny when you watch movies that are later. It is like you're just guys that have known each other and been living there, and that's what makes it good. Because a lot of times you sit there and you see these movies, and they're years later, and you're like, "Nah, I'm not buying this shit." But for you guys, it was just like when you were given about the tab and how he hasn't paid his tab, and then you triple dog dare him, and I, it, it just it brought you back to that original movie, which which says a lot for. One, the, the, the script and the directing, but you guys also. Well, the, the original script did not have Triple Dog Dare You in it. It didn't have that. And it was kind of like, how does this not have this, you know? And I had to kind of speak up and fight for it. 
and they wanted to know why, and I told them why, and I'm like, the fans need their payoffs. They're waiting for this all these years. They want to see Flick give it back to Schwartz. You know, they're, they're emotionally invested in this thing for all these decades. They have to see this. And, of course, they they said, okay, and at the end of the day, it, it, it's better for the film. It's not about me. It's about the film and what it should be and paying tribute to the first one and really keeping that that humble, wonderful story that you can continue on with the same guys, you know, and, and so... You know, it worked, you know, and there's there was, you know, other things, you know, Scott Barkas's character is fantastic. I don't want to blow it for everybody, but, you know, his character is great. And uh, Ian, who plays Randy, the little brother, his character is great that they kind of made this life for him. Because last time you saw him, he was a little kid. Right. <laughs> so he could have become anything, you know, and they came up with this wonderful concept of where he goes and what he does. And, um, you know, it... Uh, it was very heartfelt and people, you know, when you, when you move somebody emotionally, whether they're laughing, crying, cheering, applauding or crying, they get attached to something, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing that, that we were able to do this. Peter was able to get it together and do it the right way so that fans would love it again. Now the mustache real or fake? All real. Okay, how long did it take you to grow? Because it, it's, it's a good mustache, but I'm thinking, you never weeks. know. Was how long? Well, the, the movie takes place in 73. So the minute they told me that, the first thing I thought of was Elvis Aloha in Hawaii. I got to have the sideburns. I got to have, you, you know, that. And then being a bar owner, I grew the stash. And, uh, you know, I gained a little bit of weight. Because, again, bar owners, 70s, most of them all were heavy set, whatever. And it's supposed to be in Indiana, so you could think maybe it's more motorcycle, bike kind of guy, but he's not, you know. Um, so I put this sort of package of this character together, and I got there. And uh, the makeup people are, oh, this and that. I'm like, don't touch me. I'm perfect the way I am. Don't touch me. They're like, well, we'd like to. I said, well, you know, okay, so just I have a few gray hairs. You know, I'm not that age. Okay, fine, you know. So they colored it in. And Peter came in the makeup room and he goes, oh, my God, that's perfect. Don't touch. Oh, my God. What did they do? Did they did? No, Peter, they didn't do anything. No, Pete, this is all mine. And I'm pulling out, you know, I'm pulling. No, Pete, this is mine. You know, he's like, perfect. It's great. Okay. You know, so it's recreating the character of Flick, but just as an older guy and understanding who he is, where he comes from, what he's about. So you can play with it. You know, which is what I did, and, you know, it, it turned out great. You know, people go, oh, my God, you know, and it's like, since then, of course, this this is all gone, and the stash is gone, and I've lost over 20 pounds. People see me, now, like, oh, my God, you look great. I'm like, I just gained it for the movie, guys. It's okay, you know. <laughs> what was it like shooting in Bulgaria? Because it's something, you know, you've shot movies in the States, and Bulgaria's completely different i mean i'm sure their craft is quite different i'm sure it's not you know all the hunting ranch bars and the m&ms what was it like shooting oh no no they didn't have any of that stuff what you was, know i mean what was zach, it like? zach zach scott farkas called me up a couple days before i left because he had already he was already there so he uh actually sent me a text he's like dude if there's stuff that you like that you want it that you want bring stuff with you 
So believe it or not, I, I went and I ransacked every grocery store in the neighborhood for Slim Jims. And I had like 35 Slim Jims I brought with me to Bulgaria. Um, their pastries are unbelievable. They're the, the croissants and the rolls and all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. Um, food, eh. Of the 47 days I was there, I had spaghetti bolognese like 24 times. Because this one place that we went to, great spaghetti bolognese. Then it was a second place. It had another kind of pasta dish. was great. Um, but I had never been to Europe before either. You know, my first trip to Europe. And uh, it was a little unnerving, you know, being on a plane for 13 and a half hours, 14 hours from LAX to Istanbul, Turkey, catching the connector to Sofia, Bulgaria. Um, I mean, the people there, for the most part, were pretty cool, you know. Everybody on the set spoke English pretty much, you know. Um, but seeing other people on the streets didn't speak English, and you kind of smiled and said hi, and they looked at you, you know. Uh, half the town is still... The buildings are still there from when they were under Soviet rule. So these these garbage complex apartment buildings that you would see in certain cities in the U.S., you're like, oh, my God, people live, live like this, you know. Um, and then there were nice places, you know. And we had full sound stages and back lots that they built over there. They shot a Rambo there. They shot uh, Texas Chainsaw there. So they've shot other films and shows and stuff and, you know, to, it was an interesting process, you know, but people were fun. What was it like seeing the whole town recreated? I mean, that must blow your oh, mind. I mean, it just... It was crazy. When when they finally finished it, uh, Peter sent me a, a, a text. He's like, you, you're coming tomorrow morning. You got to see this. You know, so me and, and Ian went over and saw the town, you know, saw Ralphie's house and all the streets and the Higbees and Flick's Tavern and all these things. It was you know, stepping back into something place you ain't been in in a long time. You know, even though, I mean, I've been to Cleveland and I've seen the house and all that, this is sort of a different thing because you're making the film again, you know, and you're you're recreating the magic. You're trying to recreate the magic of the first, but at the same time, you understand that you're recreating something that became magic. Didn't happen overnight, you know, and who knew? You know, so you there's a lot to live up to to do what we did, you know, and, and I believe so far from what people have said, we've done it successfully. I've enjoyed it. And I, I've looked, you know, you always look on um, Facebook, there's things and, you know, with, with Facebook, like I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So even when the Eagles win, people go, oh, the Eagles suck. You know, you know. Facebook, there's always going to be the asshole who's like, oh, the movie sucked. But majority is we really enjoyed it. It was something we, we watched it and it took us back, which is good because there's nothing worse than when you're excited about a movie and you put it on, and it sucks. And I, I said, and I really enjoyed it, and uh, and it was good. I mean, it was good. Now I want to ask you. I want to get into how you got into acting. But I know you own a, car, a trading card. You're really into no, my, trading my, cards. My, my, my dad does. Okay. I, I have nothing to do with that. He owns it. He runs it. It's his place, you know. But I was there for years, helping him, you know, working whatever. Or you were you so, always? I mean, I'm still in, I'm still into cards and memorabilia. That at the end of the day is the last question. Yeah. 
What, how did you end up getting into cards and memorabilia? Because I, I was a big baseball card collector when I was younger because my father owned a tobacco wholesaling company. And he'd always bring boxes. Oh, of, wow. He'd bring boxes of cards home for me back when they had the tops in the plastic wrap and there was like 25. And I would You should about, only still have those. Oh, God. You I, should only still have those. I sold them to move to the West Coast. Of me, course. Back. But how did, you, how did you get into it? As a kid, were you fascinated with sports or were you just fascinated with the Yeah, I was, I was a baseball fanatic from the time I was a little kid. I mean, 75 tops was my first set. Thurman Munson was my guy. I love the Yankees. I grew up in Jersey, you know, um, and it was just kind of a continuation. And then, you know, once I started in show business, then all of a sudden there was money there. If I wanted to buy stuff, you know, the 80, oh my God, either 84, 85 national sports convention, in Atlantic city was my first big show that I went to and started buying, you know, little things here and there. And then I would get into like a page of everybody. So, I mean, I had a page of everybody's rookie cards from, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, all that stuff. I mean, I had nine Gretzky rookies and all that. And I wish I still had them, you know, whatever. But um, so I was always into cards. And then uh, being that we had a shop, uh, I was going to the uh, trade summit that they had every year. So now I'm meeting manufacturers, distributors, all of those people. And uh, having done many appearances and shows and being semi-creative, you know, I uh, I started sort of trying to get the card companies to do celebrity-driven products. You know, the first one was in 07, uh, uh, Spectrum Baseball. They put in one celebrity autograph in a box. You know, and I got them the autographs, Barry Williams and Tiffany and Debbie Gibson and Anthony Michael Hall. And they were my friends, you know, so I'm paying them to do this, you know. Um, and then Donruss, we, we sat down and created the Americana product, which was all celebrities. So Americana one, two, three, and the celebrity cuts. I got a lot of the autographs. I was the first person to do inscriptions. Nobody ever did this. You know, so I came up with, you know, Carrie Fisher, Star Wars. You know, uh, uh, she did Carrie Fisher and Mrs. Han Solo. And I got, you know, uh, uh, Shatner to do, you know, Kirk. And Leonard Nimoy did Spock, and I had Married with Children, all four of them on the same thing. And, you know, it became uh, fun for the fans of different genres and different people, you know. So just, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of those people. So, I mean, I still do stuff. Uh, uh, Leaf does a pop century collection. I do some of their things here and there, you know. So how, how did you get into acting? You know, you're, you're I'm from South Jersey. I'm from Cherry Hill. And uh, you're, I know you're from Bridgeport, I believe. Um, Bridgeport, Bridgewater, yeah. Bridgewater, I'm sorry. Uh, how did you get into acting? When did you know you wanted to act? Were you, a, were you a clowning around kid or how did it all start? Oh, I always had a great personality. It didn't really happen that way. Um, I was going to a, an old movie house with my dad and one of the guys that knew me for a while, you know, a year and a half, two years, whatever it was, uh, said, hey, I'm producing a commercial for You Who Chocolate Drink. I think you'd be great at it. So, I mean, it was a tough sell because he goes, it's three days in Miami Beach for you who chocolate drinks with Yogi Berra. <laughs> and I'm a Yankee guy. I'm like, that sounds great. Okay. And so went and did it. And on the flight back, he's like, you're great. The camera loves you. You got to keep doing this. You know, I know a casting director. So, okay. So went with her and uh, she's like, you know. She kind of gave me the, the, the good and the bad, you know, being in showbiz and all that kind of stuff and set me up with two agents. And I ended up signing with one of them. They both wanted me. We kind of made it up. But I asked the casting director, Joanna, I said, hey, you know, 
we don't know. They both want us, you know. She's like, oh, go with Marion Adler. I think she'd be better for you, whatever. And she worked at one agency, and six months later, she's like, listen, I'm moving. I'm going to start my own agency. Will you come with me? Sure. So I basically was paying her rent for the first couple of years because I was like this. I was just booking jobs and booking jobs and booking jobs. So... You know, it, it just started there and kept going. What were some of the early jobs you were booking? Like when you said you're booking, what was it a lot of commercial work? Yeah, it was all commercials. You know, Yoohoo chocolate drink, Reese's peanut butter cups, Northern bathroom tissue, Oreo cookies, Lionel Kitty City, which was a toy place in Philly and South Jersey. And in the commercial was it was me and and a, and like the girl was Allison Smith, who was Annie on Broadway, and I was already friends with. Her. You know, so it was like, okay, you know, well, we all knew each other. All the New York kids knew we all knew each other. Um, oh, God, I did 7-Up, which was great because it was with Pat Hayden, Hollywood Henderson, who played for the Dallas Cowboys. Pat Hayden was USC and the Rams. And, um, oh, my goodness, there's one more, and I can't think of who the hell it was. But then <clears throat> I worked with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard on an HBO spot, and... Julius Dr. J. Irving on a chapstick commercial. And I'm still friends with them. You're talking over 40 years, and I'm still friends with Doc. And I just saw Doc and Sugar Ray a couple weeks ago. They were doing a, cele a celebrity golf tournament thing out here, and I went and said hi, you know. Um, so, I mean, I did a boatload, and I did off-Broadway, and then I did Broadway, and you just keep going. What was your Broadway experience? What show? I did The Incredible Frankenstein on Broadway with a guy named David Dukes who had done other films and, and things. He was the name. <clears throat> um, a wonderful lady named Diane Weiss, two-time Academy Award winner. She played Elizabeth, Dr. Frankenstein's girlfriend. And uh, his best friend in the show was John Glover, who did Gremlins and many, many films. And, of course, then he did Smallville and all these wonderful things, you know. Uh, <laughs> we did 29 preview performances at the Palace Theater on Broadway. We had opening night, and we closed. The reviews were bad. They didn't really have advanced sales much in the way. The, maybe the worst commercial in the history of Broadway. So I can actually do it because we're on a podcast. So this is what happens. A bolt of lightning and a hand comes down like this. And another bolt of lightning, Frankenstein, live at the palace. That was the whole commercial. <laughs> it was a horror show. It really was. But, um, I mean, the experience was great. A uh, guy named Bran Ferron did the special effects. And he had done a movie called Altered States. Okay. He wired every seat in the house so when the lightning bolts would go off, every seat would shake. <laughs> you know, the sets were 50 foot high. I mean, you know, the guy that played the monster, Keith Jokum, he's in the Midwest. You know, he was great. I mean, there was a lot of good things in the show. They just really didn't know how to convey that to the general public, you know. And, um, and we closed. And I mean... The things that you don't know that happen behind the scenes or other things. I had done the commercial with Dr. J during rehearsals for the show. And he was coming on January 18th. I still remember the date of him coming to the show. Because he had an off day, you know. 
and we closed on January 4th, and that was the end of it. Oh, man. So so Broadway goes no good. So now how do you start parlaying into the, the movies, like The Toy and A Christmas Story, which I want to talk about both, because The Toy, I mean, you worked with two comedic geniuses. I mean, you know, Gleason and Just Brian. auditions. I mean, you know, just you go on audition, 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 and all of a sudden The Toy came up, and the first call is a cattle call, as they call it, because there's 400 kids there. Then the second one is 100 kids there. And then the third one, there's 40. You know, it was it was nine auditions, you know, basically. You know, and then the last one uh, in New York was a, a sort of screen test, you know, on video. Uh, and then they flew me out to Los Angeles, to Burbank, and I went to the studios and did Mother and Ray Stark, the producer, and Richard Donner, the director, and all that. And, uh, you know, they wanted a fun kid. They wanted a kid with a just an outgoing personality who could hold their own with Richard, you know? And, uh, I mean, it's a funny story because I'm friends with him. The last two kids for the movie was myself and Henry Thomas from E.T. He had done E.T., but it hadn't come out yet. And I mean, I give him the ultimate compliment. Henry Thomas is the Al Pacino of the kids, you know, very drawn. He was just a great actor. You know, me, I'm the lunatic. I'm the wild card. I'm the funny kid that tells the jokes and I'm all over the place, which is really what they wanted to have fun with Richard. So <laughs> my personality worked better, you know, and I was a Smokey and the Bandit fanatic. I knew every line. And I mean, I did Gleason as good as Gleason did Gleason. And he told me that afterwards, you know, he's like, you know, you do me as good as I do me. You know, um, and I mean, I would do shtick from Smokey and the Bandit with him and the Honeymooners and all that stuff. We had a blast. You know, I wasn't the typical kid. You know, there was the stories Gleason hated working with kids and animals. And he really did. You know, I was a different duck. I came from a different place. I appreciated him. I knew who he was. I did impressions of him. And he loved it. And. I didn't ask stupid questions. I wasn't a typical 13-year-old. You know, when you're sitting with an icon and you start asking him about George M. Cohan, I'm 13 years old. How in the hell do I know who George M. Cohan is, you know? But I did because I'd seen Yankee Doodle Dandy a hundred times. I knew he was from Brooklyn and the Bronx and Gleason was from there. And I just came out with it. I said, hey, by the way, you know, did you... Did you know George M. Cohen? He's like, really? I said, yeah, he goes, I used to shoot pool with Georgie. We used to shoot pool all the time. Oh, my God. You know, so I got it because of the personality and the way that I was. And it shows on screen. There's no question. Is it was it a little intimidating for you? I know you're, you're a kid. You're having fun. You're not the normal 13-year-old. But then all of a sudden you're going, on, like you said, an icon and another icon prior i mean when you're 13 i know when we're younger we have no fear a lot of times so we we go in and we perform but what was i mean was there any nervousness when you'd hit the scenes with them because they're so legendary i mean i could say yes and come up with an easy answer but that's not really the truth i wasn't intimidated by the time i got to the set because i'd already talked to them you know, I mean, I met Richard in California when I was doing my wardrobe fitting and we hit it off right away because we just we started riffing right away. Even at 13, I could do it. 
And he thought I had a funny personality. And I mean, you're talking about a black guy from Peoria, Illinois, who grows up in a whorehouse and a 13 year old Jewish kid from New Jersey. What could you possibly have in common? And it took us an hour to find those things. You start talking, who are you a fan of? Who did you like? Um, <clears throat> the first time I met Gleason, Richard Donner had me do the Smoking the Bandit stuff for him. So he immediately, I, I'd say, adored me because of my personality and what I brought with him. So by the time I got to the set, I really wasn't intimidated. But my first day of shooting with Gleason was my first day of shooting. Of all the things that nobody told me, nobody told me what ad-libbing was. Nobody. I've done Broadway, you stick to a script. Commercials, you stick to a script. All those things. Theater, you stick to a script. And I'm doing my dialogue, and he's going wherever he wants to go, and he's throwing me off because I'm not used to that. So my first day of shooting was a disaster. I almost got fired, literally. You know, the producer took me back to the hotel and calls my dad and says, your kid doesn't know his lines. And my father's like, are you crazy? He knows everybody's lines. <laughs> so we talked for a little bit, and then I went back to my room, and within a half an hour later, Richard called me. Come over to my room. Got to talk. So I went over to his room, and we started chit-chatting, having this wonderful conversation about 15 minutes. And he goes, okay, stop. What did we just do? I said, well, we had a conversation. He says, no. I said something. You said something. I said something. You said something. It's ad-libbing. It's just winging it. And that's a lot of what we do is we just wing it. So you got to learn to wing it with us just like you just did in our conversation. Bingo. Done. Within literally... 10 days of shooting. I was ad-libbing right along with him. I was just going with the program. So that's my on-the-set training experience. Now, the movie comes out. Do people start recognizing you? Because, you know... Immediately. So so what is that like? Now, were you... Had you moved to L.A. or were you still in Jersey? No. You, you were still in Jersey. I was still in Jersey. I didn't move to California until after high school. So I was still in Jersey. And... and I mean, it was funny because I'd be at the mall with my friend Andy and we'd be walking around or Kenny and the three of us would be walking around or whatever. And literally, I could hear it already. I could hear people 30, 40 feet away going, that's the guy, that's the guy. I could hear it. And I said, Andy, watch this. Kenny, watch this. Give them 20 seconds. They're coming over, whatever. And people would come over. Oh, my God, you're that guy? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, want to take a picture. Okay, cool, whatever. You know. Okay, thanks, you know. And my buddy's like, how the hell do you hear that? I said, dude, you just, you just do. You just get used to it. You know. Now, were you still in the same school that you had gone to? Because yeah. that, now, now is that sort of, I mean, all the girls must have been like, oh, Scott. You know, he's, I mean, no. I mean, really, I would think they'd be like, oh, man, he's a movie star. Because. No. Nope. So, so what was it like? Oh, for no. you? What was it like for you going back to school after you are in a huge movie with two icons? How do people react to you? Um, some were cool with it. Some weren't cool with it. I had a bully in school. You know, I got thrown in lockers. I got locked in lockers. I got thrown in the garbage container in the cafeteria, you know, um, most were pretty cool about it, you know, but there was no, oh my God, oh my God. No, because they were kids that I went to grade school, middle school, my freshman year in high school, I went to my local school. And uh, I had already done, I did in eighth grade, I did the toy 
then beginning of high school, I did Kid Cohen Christmas Story. Um, and I was missing a lot of days. And my local principal really, I mean, she covered for me, you know, because I was still doing the schoolwork three, every day. You got to do three hours a day in the classroom and all that on the set. Um, but the superintendent of the schools would not allow it. Even though I was a professional actor and I had a contract, you know, as they say in schools, your ass has to be in the seat for attendance, for how much money they get from the school systems and all this stuff. So I ended up going to professional children's school in New York for two years. My sophomore and junior years, I went to school with, oh boy, here we go. Anthony Michael Hall, Ricky Lake, Alon Mitchell Smith, the other kid from Weird Science, um, Jennifer Blanc, who did Angel, and she's done other things. Uh, uh, um, uh, Glenn Scarpelli, Jonathan Silverman, Ricky Lake, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Um, oh my! I mean, it was the who's who. But then there were piano players and 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 violinists and dancers and ballerinas and everybody that was in show business of any kind as a kid. Because their curriculum was based on the book, not on the teacher. So they just gave us the work and we could go on a set and do whatever we had to do, you know. So I did that my sophomore and junior years. Then I came back to my local high school with my friends. I mean, they're all my friends, but, you know, the kids I grew up with uh, my senior year, you know. I mean, uh, I had more fun and enjoyment as a teenager with the girls in New York, you know, I mean, I got, you know, I dated a few people and had fun, you know, I mean, I, God rest her soul. I dated Katya Sassoon, Vidal Sassoon's daughter, you know, she's left us, you know, she, she passed very early, you know, very sad, but she was a wonderful girl, you know? So, I mean, I had more than my fun in my later teen years, you know, after puberty, you know, <laughs> I mean, if I had hit puberty, when I worked with Richard, we'd have gone on a whole different story, you know, you know, because I mean, the things that he said to me that were not whatever came out of Richard's mouth. That's what came out of his mouth. Didn't matter what it was. And he never treated me like a kid, you know? So, I mean, he would pick out different women. What do you think of her? Oh, I did this. Oh, I did. And I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. It was hysterical. I literally got a monster amount of education from Richard, you know? So now Christmas story, was that an offer or did you have to audition for that? Because you had done the toy. How did that come about? Um, I mean, it's funny because I mean, you st being old enough, you remember things and all. December 10th, the toy comes out in the movie theaters. December 10th, I finished shooting Kid Co., which was the second film that I had done. And it was five days later on a Wednesday, and I go in to see Bob Clark for the movie Christmas Story. And it's, uh, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. And we talk for a few minutes, and he says, Listen, I miss lunch. You want to go have a hot dog? We were in Manhattan. Okay. We go downstairs, we have a dirty water dog, a Yoohoo, a Pepsi, whatever it was. We come back upstairs. We chit-chat for another couple of minutes. Hey, listen, nice to meet you. Thanks. Have a nice day. Shake hands. That's it. You want me to read something? No, you're good. He had gone to the theaters. He saw the toy. If I can hold my own with Gleason and Pryor, I can do Flick. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty much it. I got the movie 10 minutes later. He called my agent. Now, what was that set like? Because you're all you, you're you're a little older than Peter, right? You're like three years older than Peter. Mm -hmm. I'm the oldest. Yeah. Okay. So, what was that like when you're mentally you're older, and, and so you just went through an experience with 
Fryer and Jackie Gleason. So it's now you're going, well, wait a second. Now I'm coming back to these kids who are younger than me. It's got to be, it must have been totally different for you when you first started shooting with them. Not really, because I had done over 100 commercials. I mean, I worked with so many kids and, and done Broadway, you know, with, with I was actually the only kid in the Broadway show, but off Broadway there's a couple other kids. Um, it was more, I was, I was experienced, so I was prepared. You come to the set prepared every day. You know, you know your lines, you're going to learn your marks, okay, fine. Peter was an exceptional professional. I mean, he had Ralphie down. And that, that helped tremendous, you know, because he's the lead. And um, Ian was a little kid who played Randy, the little brother. It was like, okay, you know. And R.D. had done theater already, you know. So he was a professional. So even though you're working with kids, you're still working with professionals, you know. And uh, it was was very fluent. It worked. It gelled, you know. There's no, you look down on somebody because they haven't done a film and you have none of that kind of stuff. You know, you just... You go to a set prepared, and you're ready to go to work, and you do your job, you know. Now, did you think, you know, when you were shooting it, and we, that it would become such a, I mean, Christmas Eve, it plays for 24 hours. I mean, it's something that, you know, you know what a movie's good, but for this, just, it, it's one of those movies that I think almost everybody I know has seen. It's just, yeah, it's coming is- up. But when you were shooting it, did you think, man, we're part of something no, special? of course not. It's a little movie. It's a little heartfelt family movie. And, you know, it took 12 years to get made. And the only reason why Christmas Story gets made is because of the success of Porky's that Bob directed, Bob Clark. It's the only reason. And <clears throat> there's no big stars. There's no special effects. There's no nothing. It's a humble little movie. It's an ensemble piece. It's wonderful. Getting Darren McGavin, you know, French Italy, it must be Italian. You know, I mean, there's so many things that you don't know what's going to click, not going to click. Everybody makes a movie and they hope for the best. You know, they all get thrown up on the wall and very few stick. And this was one of the ones that stuck. And people really, over the course of the decades, really attached themselves to, you know, because, you know, you, you take... You know, by, you know, 85, 87, it's on VHS four different ways already. And you've got grandparents sharing it with their kids who are sharing it with their kids and their aunts, their uncles, their cousins. It's a wonderful family movie that everybody enjoys. And Grandpa is telling you stories of him running around with his friends in the 40s doing this stuff. So to them, it's like, it's reliving their childhood. So it, over the course of time, as time went by, the fan base has just grown because generations are coming. You know, that's what it is. But no, it's like winning a lottery, truly. It really is. Now, tell me about that tongue scene, because everyone remembers that. You got to, when you saw the script, what were you thinking? Were you sitting there going, I got to put my tongue, I mean, tell me, tell me your, the thought process and how you actually shot it. Well, I mean, it, you know, it says flick sticks tongue to pole. That's it. There's no dialogue. There's no nothing. It was between 20 and 24 below zero up in Canada. We're freezing our tushies off. There's no question. We had hand warmers. We had battery operated socks. I mean, all this crap. Um, so we get out there. 
And I said to Bob, okay, how does this thing work? So they actually turned it on, and it's a, it's a real pole, but then there's a piece of plastic over it that they painted. <clears throat> they put a little hole in it about the size of your pinky nail with a vacuum tube that went into the snow. And there was a little motor, like, like a Dirt Devil vacuum cleaner. So if you think vacuum cleaner, there's the hole, and it's... That was really all that it was. So Bob actually tried it first. He says, here, I'll show you. Turn it on. Okay, so he does it. Oh, okay, I got it. The, 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 the jump forward story is, for 35 years, I didn't even think about it. And somebody asked me, who did it first? Then I realized, Bob did it. They never cleaned the pole. So I was actually licking where Bob was licking, you know. Um... But I mean, there's no fake tongue. It's my tongue. It got stuck. There were takes where I popped off the pole and we had to do it again. Okay, fine. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I said to Bob, what do you want me to do? And because he knew I worked with Gleason and Pryor and I could ad lib and do all the, he's like, listen, do what comes natural. If I don't like it, I'll tell you. Okay. So I came up with all the shtick that don't leave me come back. Stuck, stuck, stuck. All oh, that was just that. Just that's just what came out. I did a couple times that way. That was good. That was. Give me more. Go, go, go more. Give me more. Okay. So I I upped it a couple bits and whatever. He goes, no, nope, honestly, the way you did it to begin, do it the way you did it. That's the best way. Okay. And that's what you see on camera. Now it's just amazing that everyone remembers that they they it's it's a scene that you remember the it's. When you're a kid, and you know, as I said, you think back to when you're a kid because you, you said it perfectly. We had our kids; we run around and start shit. We remember we used to throw snowballs at cars, which is so wrong. Oh, it's but you, of course, but that's what we did yeah. back then. <laughs> you would do it, you and know, every once in a while, of, <laughs> you don't think of safety and who you're going to harm or who you're going to insult or none of this stuff. We just we free wheeled it. That's what we did. Now, after Christmas Story, <laughs> as you're getting older. What what do you what are your what are your goals? Do you want to keep acting or what happens? I mean, you, you've been in some big well, movies, sure. but so where what paths do you take? Oh, I mean, I just kept going on auditions, and sometimes you book something, and sometimes you don't. I really didn't get any films after you know Christmas Story for a while. Uh, I hit puberty, my face changed, so I didn't really look like me anymore. Between you know fifteen and a half and almost nineteen. You know, I sort of look different. Like my high school graduation photo, I absolutely hate because it just doesn't look like me. And about when I almost hit 19, my face sort of morphed back into the face I had when I was 13. And I came out to California and uh, I mean, I did book some work and I got, you know, a couple little TV series things here and there. Nothing, uh, uh, no regular on a series, but guest shots and whatever. I did a couple of films. Okay, fine. And, um, you know, I mean, actually, before I, I came to L.A., it was my senior year, and I ended up at a movie audition uh, for The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long, and I didn't get it. But I met Big John Studd, the WWF wrestler, and he used to fight Andre the Giant and all that stuff, you know. We became friends. The next thing was I started going to a couple of the events and then I started driving and I was driving myself to the events. The next thing I know is, hey, you want to help work ring crew? So I started flying places 
literally after school, I would leave before study hall, go to Newark Airport, jump on People's Express. I would go to Baltimore, Washington, Lexington, Chicago, rent a car underage, renting a car because I'd pay the extra insurance. Sometimes I'd pick guys up from the airport. Sometimes I'd go to the arenas. And then afterwards, I'd take the guys back to the hotel. And, and, you know, and I did this for 16 months until almost the time I moved to L.A. So I was having a blast, you know. And everybody was a fan. They all knew the toy back then. Nobody was a big Christmas story junkie, you know. It was all about the toy. Um, so that gave me a different chapter in my life, so to speak. Then I came out to L.A. and I got some work and then just did other stuff and just made a living. Now, back to Christmas Story. What what are some of your favorite memories from shooting that? Because it, it seems like it was, it just must have been so damn fun. It just, it looks fun. Like, what are some of your real great memories you have from shooting? You know, you, you, you it's funny. You can sit there in a nice warm house and say, oh, it looked like fun. But we were freezing our asses off, <laughs> you know, between Canada being 20 below zero and Cleveland was ice cold. You know, the fun that I had was me and Peter hanging out. We'd go play video games. We were throwing water balloons out the windows. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff as kids, you know. Um, my fondest memories was just hanging out with Pete, you know. I mean, I talked to Bob a little bit. And a couple times I did talk to Darren McGavin, not all that much. Um, but really, it was the relationship that Peter and I formed. And we became friends, and you know, to this day, you know. And it was, it was wonderful getting on a set with him again. Now, what is it like? Do you do conventions? Because I know that's the big thing. And I, I got to tell you, I, I went to the Hollywood show when I lived in L.A. My friend knew the owner. We went. And it was weird because Mason Reese wasn't in the show, but he was hanging out outside the show. And I remember that's commercial. You remember that commercial. It's just, you know, Borgish Morgan can. But for you, what's it like when you go to these conventions that just these people, you've been a part of their lives. I mean, you know, and as you said, Christmas story, grandparents passed down. You've been part of generations what kind of yeah. fans come to your like who do you what you, do you have a just a skewed demographic of people that come to you your table or how does it work when you go to these conventions it must be everyone of different ages oh they're, they're all different ages they're fans you know they, they they give warmth and love it's not that they're coming up like hey you killed somebody you know i'm not charles manson you know so it's always a smile warmth you know hey are you doing anything after the show we'd love you to come over for dinner I get invited to more people's homes than you could possibly imagine. Um, and sometimes it's actually led to many friendships. I mean, I literally, I could get stuck in 50 cities across this country <laughs> and find somebody I know for a couch and dinner. You know, um, it, uh, I mean, it's wonderful. You know, being something that is beloved and is just uh, uh, way beyond anything that I could have ever thought would happen you know and i thought it was all going to be from the toy and who knew you know that it's the little one and it's the six minutes on camera is what lasts it's seinfeld okay most people like seinfeld there's some that don't really like it but okay fine but if you ask people they, what they love about seinfeld they'll always say okay seinfeld kramer and the soup nazi and yet the soup nazi's really only in one episode until mm -hmm. the last episode of the whole thing because you know jerry brought everybody back but other than that one episode it gets talked about two episodes two other episodes but larry thomas was so good you know the soup nazi he made that character 
a thousand times bigger than it really was. You know, and everybody, of course, knows no soup for you. You know, now my favorite line in that scene is, you know, uh, is is George asking him for the bread because he got, you know, the other guy got the bread. Can I? Oh, you want bread? Three dollars. That's my that's what I think is hysterical. You want bread? Three dollars. It's no soup for you is great, but it's the other. So Larry made it his own as I made Flick his own, you know, and the people, they come and they give the love and it's just, and, you know, when I see a six-year-old kid, you know, with his mom, his dad, whatever, and the kid will come up and he'll see the picture. He won't know me because I'm older, but he'll see the picture of me on the flagpole with Peter. And he go, you know, and they'll go, flick, Christmas story, or they'll just say Christmas story, or, you know, uh, stuck, 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 and they're six years old. It's delightful to know that you've already started to bring humor and a good experience and a laugh to a young generation. And then I've had people in their 80s talk to me for 20 minutes about their dad and their experiences growing up and what they did and shooting BB guns or whatever it was. You know, I'm, I, I, it's, it's fun to hear the stories of other people's lives, you know, because they interact and interject with what we did. I got to ask you about, didn't you do a series of the comeback kid? I think Keith Coogan was in that. Didn't you guys do like a YouTube series? We did a pilot. Okay, what was that about? Because I know Keith, who was all in that? Because that, that's really interesting. Oh my God. Um, so there were there were two guys that I that unfortunately I don't remember their names because they weren't you know really celebrities or had done a lot of things or whatever, but they were two kid two guys who were in show business as kids, and now they're coming back twenty five years later, and they're trying to make a comeback the comeback kids, and they were friends with Keith and they were friends with you know other people that are, that do little uh, uh, cameos in the show, and their agent was Gavin McLeod, Captain Stubing from The Love Boat. And I'm playing his son, so I'm playing the agent's son, you know. And, uh, you know, the guy calls the agent and says, hey, you know, I'm going to do this and whatever. And Gavin's like, listen, I'm not really doing that. I'm turning the business over to my son and whatever. So I'm there with Gavin and we're having the scene. And again, the director gave me leeway to embellish and do a little bit of ad-libbing and whatever. And I said, listen, you know, the last thing you did, you were like 12 years old, you know. And honestly, Stevie Wonder wouldn't have watched it. It was so bad. You know, so, I mean, we did that thing. Um, it was amazing that it didn't sell because we had a lot of pieces in it. Bernie Capel from The Love Boat was in it. And Gavin, myself, and Keith, and Todd Bridges, and this one. and it, But whatever it was, it didn't go. But uh, <clears throat> the uh, we had a screening of the show. And uh, Yakov Shmirnov came over to me. And I had known him. I would worked at the comedy store with him. I knew him. And he's like, you're very funny. You are so good. You're so, so wonderful, you know, you know. And I didn't know that George Shapiro was there. For your listeners who don't know, George Shapiro was Andy Kaufman's manager and had a tremendous career. And he worked with Seinfeld, and he's a part of Seinfeld and all that. And he actually told the director, he goes, listen, this is a great show. He goes, but by far, Scott, he, sold, he stole the show. He was fantastic. And I never got to meet the man. He didn't come over to me. Oh, man. He is a legend. That's funny. I know Yakov. And uh, Yakov, I helped Oh, him. I love Yakov. Uh, yeah, I, oh, no. Yeah, he's done my I show. Have, I, 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 have, I have sort of have something that's mine, okay? 
the taking a picture of my tongue on a pole. Thousands of people have asked me to do it, and I just don't do it, you know. Now, if they set up a pole or whatever, I'll kind of make a face or do something funny, but I actually won't do the sticking the tongue to the bike. I've done it less than five times since the movie. I did it for my uncle with him, you know, two of my clothes, hard, whatever, okay, fine. And at that screening, Yakov asked me to do it with him. And I'm like, there's no poles here. He's, no, no, we'll find, we'll find. And we're walking out of the theater and, you know, it's got the handrail that goes down, you know. So we ended up at the bottom of the handrail to the piece that came straight down. <laughs> and he was on one side and I was on the other. And that's the last time I've actually done it. I did it for him because he's just a lovely man and just a wonderful friend. So now what's in your future, Scott? Are you, you know, you did, did, are you going to still start, keep acting? I mean, do you have any projects coming up? Because, you know, this movie, I got a, you, I've got a few little things that people have said they want to do. Okay, fine. Um, there may be more Christmas story stuff coming. We're not sure yet. We got to see what happens with this. If it's as successful as it seems to be so far, there may be some more of that. Um, next year is the 40th anniversary. So we're going to, we're going to do a tour, all of us of probably four or five cities um, and Peter will be a part of it, and he's never done it before. You know, that's just not his thing, so to speak, but he understands it's the 40th, so he's going to come out. And You know, we've got some shows set up already across the country from Utah to Rhode Island and Pittsburgh and New Jersey, and there may be one other one. We're just not sure, but I'm setting them up. You know, but uh, you don't know what the future's going to hold, you know. Now, do you go back to the house in Cleveland? No. Okay, you haven't been back at all? Oh, no, we went when when the house began. We were there for the opening of the house and then a couple of times, but it's been 12, 14 years since we've been there, since I've been there. Right. Well, yeah. I, want to, I want to thank you for taking time. Now, how can people get in touch with you? When people, go watch go watch the movie. I'm just saying, you, you have HBO Max or get the password from somebody. Tell them, you know, yeah. a, a, a That's where myself, uh, uh, Yano Grover Dill, Scott Farkas, Zach Ward... Um, yeah, we have stuff up there. We have autographs. I get stuff signed by Peter that we put on the site, but there's anything from luggage to socks and everything in between hats, shirts, this, that tchotchke stuff, coffee mugs, all that kind of stuff, you know, and it's a, a Christmas story family.com. You can come there and, you know, we do a zoom thing every couple months. We'll all show up and all that, you know, and they have a VIP thing that we do. And, you know, so it, uh, we can have fans, you know, follow us and know kind of where we are, what we're doing. So people, go check that out. Also go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 930 episodes on there. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Uh, Facebook, I'm at coopertalkradio. And Instagram, coopertalk1, because I'm not coopertalk. And Twitter, coopertalk. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean? Where's where's drink your Ovaltine if you're going to go that far, for God's sakes, with this? Come on. Okay, drink your Ovaltine, and you'll get a shitty little code, and you won't get anything. All right? Is that good? Exactly. Okay. All right. Have a great day, people.